0: Uh, been looking at Easter the last few weeks and we kind of cheated by using a a palm branch as a a tree to signify the garden Um, but Ben spoke to us about embracing the suck embracing the rubbish stuff like Jesus embraced the cross he embraced the suffering then Andy spoke to us about the lens of failure I can't say that word properly failure, failure, failure I can't, well, anyway, Megan always makes fun of me the way I say it. The le- Andy spoke to us about the lens of failure. And then on Friday, Tom spoke to us about the symbol of judgment, the, the suffering symbol that's lifted up. So it's all been really cheery stuff so far. Embrace the suck, the lens of failure, the symbol of suffering. But today, that all takes on a new light. You look back at it in the light of resurrection. It's good. We get to the completion today of the Easter story. I'm going to read a fairly lengthy passage of scripture. I'm going to read the whole of John chapter 20 to us. So uh, it will come up on the screen. Uh, If you don't have a Bible, I'm just looking at the time. Uh, Okay, I'm going to read this to us and then I'm going to just share some thoughts about Easter with you. were running together, but the other disciple outrun Peter and reached the tomb first. And stooping to look in, he saw the linen cloths lying there, but he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came following him and went into the tomb. He saw the linen cloths lying there and the face cloth which had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen cloths, but folded in a place by itself. Then the other disciple who had reached the tomb first also went in, and he saw and believed, for as yet they did not understand the scripture that he must rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to their homes. Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said to her, Do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father, but go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord and He." If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven. If you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. Now Thomas, one of the te- twelve called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we've seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see his hands, in his hands the mark of the nails and place my finger into the marks of the nails and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. Eight days later, his disciples were inside again and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here and see my hands and put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Thomas answered him, My Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, Have you believed because you have seen? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Amen. I just want to encourage you, if you're like Thomas, and you've sort of got some doubts, you think, oh, I'm not so sure. Actually, you can challenge God to, to respond to you. Maybe you want to just take a moment, just go, God, hey, I want, I want some evidence, show me something, show me something. Speak to me. God's gracious, isn't he? He's gracious to Thomas there, I think, just particularly. Uh, a young man I know with promising, he's got a job, promising career, prospects. He leaves that job in order to serve, be able to be free to serve his job, uh, serve his church better. He chooses a different job. Uh, there's a couple nearing retirement. They sell their home and they move miles away from their family in order to help see a gospel community established. A couple start and then run a successful business from their home and because of the nature of the business, they can choose to live wherever they want. They could choose any, pretty much any country in the world, any area, but they choose to live in a little town just outside London in order to serve the local church there. A young man and his friends try and share the good news of Jesus with an unreached South American tribe, and he and his friends are murdered by the tribe's people. His widow goes and lives with the tribe and shares the gospel and the good news of Jesus with them. Talks about the grace and forgiveness of God. A woman gets on a boat, not knowing where she'll end up. She ends up on the other side of the world with only $10 in her hand. She settles in an area of that country that the police refuse to go to. She befriends drug dealers and prostitutes and demonstrates the love of God and the freedom that Jesus has won for them. A lady in almost constant pain, 24-7, chooses to give her time to serve a local church and travel two hours to attend on a Sunday morning there are many more stories like this but these things really they only make sense in light of the resurrection of Jesus Christ they only make sense if Jesus was who he said he was I think Andy at the beginning of the year asked the question What is going on in your life? What part of your life only makes sense if Jesus was who he said he was and did what the Bible says he did? It only makes sense that we can pray and say things like, it's all right for them, they've gone to be in glory. That only makes sense if Jesus rose from the dead. I want us to look at a few verses in Corinthians, and then I wanna encourage us with two, two particular aspects of uh, resurrection confidence, and then um, we're gonna feast together. I thought about calling this morning or putting on the picture there, Feaster, but I thought it's a little bit too disrespectful even for me. Um, 1 Corinthians 15, verses 1 and 3 and 4 says this. Now, I want to remind you, Marion read some of these verses earlier. I would remind you, brothers and sisters, of the gospel I preached to you. I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. Paul's writing to the Corinthians, he's reminding them of the gospel, he's saying, this is what the Old Testament, this is what the scriptures that you know This is what they were pointing to, that Jesus was gonna die for our sins and he was gonna rise on the third day. It's essential and foundational part of the gospel message. Verses 12 to 19 say this. Now, if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say there is no resurrection from the dead? If there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. We are even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that he raised Christ, whom he didn't, if he did not raise, uh, it's true that the dead are not raised. And if the dead are not raised, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, our faith is futile and we are still in our sins. Then also those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. Today is a party for the pitied. In our life, in your life, when you're with your co-workers or you're uh, with your friends who aren't saved, there should be an element where they pity you. The faith that we have, we should be pitied by other people because if they don't believe that Christ rose from the dead, they should think, man, you, I feel sorry for you. You've put your hope into this thing. We know, obviously, if you're, if you're following Jesus, you know. Actually, I'm not the one to be pitied. But there should be an element where our lives, we're so living in the good of the resurrection that people look at us and think, man, I feel sorry for you. You're so sure of this thing. I said the other week, this wasn't a resurrection like Lazarus's. Lazarus, if you don't know, he died and then Jesus went and prayed and he, was, he rose to life again. But then Lazarus died again. So poor old Lazarus, he gets to die twice. Jesus rose from the dead, never to die again. Death has been utterly defeated by the resurrection of Christ. Christianity is built entirely upon the death and resurrection of Christ. It's, it's like you take it out and it all falls down. If Jesus did not rise, then it's all pointless. Paul says that the, the apostles, there, they're found to be misrepresenting God. They said, we're not, if Jesus didn't rise, what we're telling you is not right. That you're still in sins. Actually, your sin is not going to be forgiven. People who've already died in the hope that they're going to rise again, they were fools. And that we're to be pitied. Now, that could be depressing, but Paul goes on to say this in verses 20 to 24, or 26, sorry. Uh, but in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by a man came death, by a man has also come the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ shall all be made alive. But each in his own order, Christ the first fruits, then at his coming those who belong to Christ." Then comes the end when he delivers the kingdom to God, the Father, after destroying every rule and every authority and power. For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. Christ is the first fruits. That's why we can say with confidence, those who were believers who've died in Christ, they're gonna rise again because the first fruit has already happened. And so now we get to live in the good of that, the confidence of that. Not only is Jesus risen from the dead, but he's reigning and putting every enemy under his feet. This little passage, there's some other verses around it, which for me are why I'm comfortable saying, you know, the church's name is Christ first, not God first. Because there's some stuff that Christ is going to do. He's going to bring everything under his feet. And then it says, and then Christ is going to give that to God. So Christ first, and then he's going to give it to God. we won't talk about that. How can we be sure of the resurrection? Paul offers some proof in the early verses. He says, go and speak to these named witnesses. He says, go and speak to, is this when I turn this off? There you go, I turned it off, sorry. He says, go and speak to uh, Peter and the 12. Jesus appeared to them. Then he goes, he appeared to other witnesses. (coughs) Some of them are still alive. You can go and talk to them. Then he appeared to James and then all the apostles. And last, he appeared to Paul himself. We can't go and speak to those people ourselves. We can't, you know, actually go and speak to Paul because he's dead. Well, he's dead and in heaven, waiting for the, the trumpet to sound and get his resurrection body. <clears throat> but we can think critically and logically and philosophically about the evidence that we have and the history of the world. And we can, we can be sure because we can source check. Paul offered the names of witnesses. You wouldn't offer the names of witnesses if your witnesses were gonna go, oh no, actually, Paul's got it wrong there. People's lives have been changed. This is one of my favourite things. Uh, I, I think I've used this a few times. But this is Abraham Lincoln. He said, don't believe everything you read on the internet just because there's a picture with a quote next to it. Now obviously Abraham Lincoln didn't really say that because the internet wasn't there. But people post these sorts of things. The, the government are doing a big push. I think they call it share, which is uh, sort of source check, read beyond the headlines, uh, find things that agree with it. Uh, is it reliable source? And then so I can't remember what the E is. But basically trying to push for people to actually check what you share online so easy, isn't it? Someone on Facebook, hey, this this thing is happening. Okay, well, is it really? Well, because someone's just shared that and it's been shared, oh, it's got 5,000 shares. Well, it must be true. No, it just means that 5,000 people have read a headline, oh, that's interesting, and then shared it on. I, could, I think <laughs> a few years ago, I said a thing about Gary's. Don't know if people remember that. That there would be no Gary's in the next 10 years, which actually, <laughs> Statistically, they're, like, they won't be significant uh, in terms of name rankings, but there are still babies being born called Gary. Um, but I think this particular website, I read it, and I was like, oh, that's really interesting. No one's been called Gary since then. And I sort of off- offhand said it, and then I dug into it a little bit more, and actually, there are babies still being called Gary. Um, we need to check sources. That's what Paul says. Go and check the source. The first witnesses that went to the tomb were women. Now, obviously, we're very far from this in our culture, but in that culture, you wouldn't have asked women to be like, oh yeah, it was the ladies, they went first and then they came and told us. You wouldn't have said that because their their testimony wouldn't have been valid, wouldn't have been seen as reliable. The fearful disciples suddenly became brave. Peter denies Uh, As Andy was talking about it last week, Peter denies that he even knows Jesus. Then he stands in front of a crowd. It says in this passage that I just read this morning, the disciples were all locked away in a room for fear of the Jews. Then after they they meet Jesus resurrected, after Pentecost, they've been filled with the Holy Spirit. They stand up. Jesus stands in front of a, a huge crowd and says, you killed the Christ. Something has changed in him. Their message has changed. The message is not... They didn't understand what Jesus was saying until he sort of opened it up for them. And then they're preaching a message, not just come to God, but come to God and you can be set free from your sins. You can be... have eternal life through Jesus. the birth and growth of the church. This is a book called The Story of Christianity, which, I mean, I don't know if that looks thick to you or not, but it's sort of, uh, you know, 2,000 years of church history. Highly recommended, I've just started it myself, um, but so far it's good. Uh, This is by a guy called David Bentley Hart. He says this, uh, the enigma of the church, considered purely as a historical phenomenon, The abrupt transition of Christ's followers from a posture of utter defeat and disillusionment to one of triumphant jubilation constitutes an altogether impenetrable enigma. Now that sentence might have put you off. I don't know what your sort of reading style is, but he's saying the fact that the disciples, they were fearful. They're like, what are we going to do? Jesus was the main guy. He's dead now. I can't believe it. We'd sort of hitched our wagon to this guy. Now we're having to hide out and keep the doors locked, because they might kill us too. To suddenly, hey, I'm willing to lay my life down for this. This is true, what are you gonna do? Kill me, I'm just gonna rise. What What? What have you got? Jesus talked about not, not fearing those who can only kill the body. Stephen, when he, he's one of the first martyrs he, I think he must be the first he, he stands up and he, he's declaring to the Jewish leaders the whole history all your history all the stuff that you think makes you who you are actually it's all fulfilled in Jesus and this is the true message of God and they kill him for it and as they're killing him he says father forgive them they don't know what they're doing he's, he's remembering this is what Jesus said and he's living it out himself what are they going to do kill me The attitude of disciples completely changes. I'm just going to read a little bit more. The apostles were not purveyors of a spiritual philosophy who were merely continuing their master's ministry. The Easter proclamation was of an altogether different nature. The most responsible historical judgment on this episode is that a profound shared experience transformed the disciples' understanding of the life and death of their master and his presence within time and of the point and purpose of their own lives. Something quite extraordinary and unprecedented had clearly taken place. There'd been lots of messianic groups. If you look in the history of uh, the Jewish nation, there's lots of people who would appear and go, I'm the Messiah, and they'd get some people, get some followers, and they'd go, yeah, follow me, we're gonna do it, we're gonna overthrow the Romans, or we're gonna do this, and then they would die, and then the people in that group would just sort of dissipate. That didn't happen with Christianity. I'm the Messiah, Jesus said, killed him. Instead of dissipating, this group's growing. That doesn't make any sense. It only makes sense in light of the resurrection. No body was ever produced. It wasn't that the the Jewish people or the Romans took the body away and then as the disciples were going, oh, he must have risen from the dead. Jesus rose from the dead. And then they sort of go, well, no, he didn't because here's his body. That never happened. No dead body was ever discovered. The tomb of Jesus was never enshrined. Lots of people go to visit places where, you know, someone preached this place in this place one time, and those people got saved, or some historical event happened there. If you try and go and visit Jesus' tomb, it's like, well, maybe it's over there, or it might be why do, no one wanted to go and see the tomb of Jesus. No one was bothered. Why would you be bothered? Hey, you know, Jesus had a nap there once. That's it. (laughs) This morning we remind each other not just to recall the resurrection but to live in the good of it. And so I want to just explain two instances of... uh, the good of the resurrection, the kingdom come and the, the coming kingdom. Jesus' resurrection was confirmation that the kingdom of God had indeed come. Jesus said the kingdom is at hand. That was part of his message. Jesus' message was that the kingdom of God was arriving. His resurrection uh, was a demonstration of victory over death and sin, as we read earlier. It's often likened to D-Day in the Second World War. It was the definitive victory, but it's not the end of the story. The kingdom of death had been invaded and conquered by the Prince of Life. And so the definitive victory has been won, but it's not the end of the story. Just like in the Second World War, D-Day is seen as like, that's the moment that the war was won. There was lots to do afterwards, but that's the moment that the war was won. We live in the now and not yet. The kingdom has come, but it's also coming. But why is there this pause? The resurrection of Jesus isn't the end of the story. There's 2,000-ish years of church history to show that. Well, Revelation 19 says this. I'm reading a few more verses than are up there, but they're the key ones. Then I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude, like the roar of many waters, and like the sound of mighty peals of thunder, crying out, Hallelujah, for the Lord our God, the Almighty, reigns. Let us rejoice and exalt and give him the glory, for the marriage of the Lamb has come, and his bride has made herself ready. It was granted her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure, for the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. And the angel said to me, Write this, blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, These are the true words of God. His bride has made herself ready. It was granted her to clothe herself with fine linen, <laughs> bright and pure. The fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. Why is there a pause between Jesus' resurrection and the sort of conclusion of history? Because he's given us the opportunity, his bride, the, the church is sometimes called the bride of Christ, the bride of the lamb. He's given us the opportunity to clothe ourselves, clothe the church with righteous deeds so that when we get there, when the, the marriage supper of the land, the banquet happens, that actually we go, this is what we did for you. And he'll look at the church and he'll see a glorious bride. One day we will die, or maybe we won't, maybe the trumpet will sound before we die. But if we do, we will rise But until that day we have the chance to dress ourselves in linen that's pure and bright and white. And that's why our lives should only make sense if we're living with that future mindset. I'm living for the day that I get to stand before Jesus and say, you loved me and this is what I did with the life that you won for me. These are the righteous deeds. as we finish i just want to remind us of a few points on how to feast well we're gonna sort of have a prelude of that wedding banquet as we feast together in a few few minutes well it'll probably be in about an hour 45 minutes because it's not immediately after the sermon i'm afraid but we're gonna we're gonna have a prelude of that wedding supper so There's going to be uh, bread and some uh, cranberry juice, which will be bread and wine. So that's going to be on the tables to take as part of that uh, meal that we share together as like a communion, remembering. We're going to remember who Jesus was. We're going to take communion together as part of our meal. You may have been uh, fasting from something over the the past uh, 40 days uh, or so. That's part of the preparation. We prepare ourselves physically to fast. We're gonna prepare ourselves, we've prepared ourselves spiritually. I want you to, as you're eating, before you eat, just maybe think a bit more about what we're celebrating. Celebrating Easter. That's why we're feasting together. Someone will pray and express thanks to God the occasion the food and the company and then I want to encourage you as much as I can to enjoy the food now I don't know what you're like I'm sure none of you are like me in this sense sometimes when I eat food like ten minutes later I couldn't tell you what I ate so I'm hungry come eat you probably you can tell um, <clears throat> but I want to encourage you just enjoy it. Even if it's just your first mouthful, just cut it and just like think, hmm, I'm going to think about this food as I eat it. If you're eating the lamb, I'm going to think about how does this feel in my mouth? What does this taste like? I appreciate that people have um, spent their time cooking for me. Actually concentrate on what you're doing, if I can encourage you to do that. Allow it to bring delight to you. The greatest news that any ear has ever heard is that Jesus Christ has risen from the dead as he promised he would. The resurrection of Jesus is the truth that lies at the very foundation of the gospel. The resurrection is the essential Christian doctrine. Without a belief in a resurrection, there can be no salvation. The Bible says, if we confess with our mouths that Jesus is Lord and believe in our hearts that God raised him from the dead, we will be saved. Romans 9, uh, 10 verse 9. In the resurrection of Jesus Christ, we have the answer to the great question, is there life after death? Christ lives, so shall we. The greatest truth you can ever hear is that Jesus Christ died, but rose again. It's the greatest truth you can ever hear. It reshapes everything. (laughs) And you too can rise again into newness of life. The resurrection of Jesus shows that what Jesus did on the cross was enough enough to deal with sin, enough to restore relationship between man and God. Jesus' resurrection is evidence that the way back to eternal relationship with the Father has been perfectly, unconditionally, forever achieved. The choice is ours. If we can put our trust in him, that all our sins, past, present and future, were put on Jesus on the cross and that his perfection meant that those sins were dealt with the barrier between God and us has been completely and eternally removed then we can enjoy knowing that our future is tied with Christ we're co-heirs with him we will be raised to eternal life as he was from there we can live in the good of that now enjoying freedom from the tyranny of sin and death I was chatting to someone recently about saying one of the things they're most looking forward to in this sort of new heavens and new earth is not having to think about, oh, I'm trying not to sin. Actually, there'll be a freedom from that. You won't even have to think about it. What am I doing? I don't know, but it's righteous. That's how it will be. Freedom from the guilt of failure. Freedom to follow Jesus and be part of God's plan at work in the world to clothe yourself with linen, bright and pure. I'm going to finish by praying and then we're going to enjoy a foretaste of that banquet. Uh. Feasting together to celebrate the victory of Jesus. I'm sure there'll be some practical things so don't dash off. (coughs) Father, I thank you that you sent your son, your firstborn, your only begotten son, to earth, that you loved us enough that he came to live a perfect life to die a death in our place to receive your judgment in our place and that he rose again that death couldn't hold him that the grave didn't have victory sin didn't have victory the sting of death is uh, is defeated it's it's been taken out the sting of sin has been taken out taken out that there's there's restoration between man and God, that we can come to know you. We can know you personally. That you are gracious to us as you were to Thomas, that you will speak to us in a way that we need to hear. So I pray, Lord, even this morning, that you would be speaking to people. I pray we would live lives that only make sense if, if you died and rose again, Lord. That only makes sense if we're living for that future day when we meet you. When we get to hear you say, well done, good and faithful servant. When we get to be presented to the Lamb as the bride, dressed in pure, bright linen. So I pray, Lord, help us to live lives like that. Help us to enjoy as we feast together and remember you. Let us be people who demonstrate joy and delight to levels that is beyond uh, those who don't know you. That as Christians, we should be the most joyful of people. We should be able to enjoy life the most. Pray, give us the freedom to do that. In your name, Lord Jesus.